listening to the Red Seat Podcast. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Featuring Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood. Sale winds. He fires. Swing and a miss. Great play. It's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my regular co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster for episode 289 of the show. We are not joined by Bob Osgood this week, but that's okay because uh, Keaton and I have done a lot of these together. So, Keaton, how you doing, man? Doing good. Doing good. Ready to pod. We had uh, a whole lot of news happen, so we got a lot of stuff to react to. Yes, absolutely. So we were originally going to record on our normal day of Monday, um, which we've sort of gone between Mondays and Wednesdays this year in terms of our recording date. But we're actually recording on a Tuesday, which is super weird for us. Uh, And this will probably come out on a Thursday. Maybe it'll come out tomorrow. I don't know. But um, anyhow, we intentionally waited because it just felt like there were going to be things that happened, uh, especially today, Tuesday, as we were recording this show, and we were not disappointed. So uh, lots and lots to talk about here. Um, first of all, just a little bit of housekeeping. If you uh, have enjoyed the show here, you know, make sure to subscribe, spread the word uh, by word of mouth. And uh, if you want to send in questions to us, you can do so on Twitter or at redseatpodcast at gmail.com. But let's get right to the meat of it, Keaton. Uh, the Red Sox have traded Kike Hernandez to the Dodgers along with $2.5 million for relievers Nick Robertson and Justin Hagenman. Um, and, you know, this is uh, per Alex Spear. He wrote a little bit about this. Uh, at the time of Hernandez being traded, he had hit just 222, 279, 320 this season, uh, 14 errors at short, 12 of which were throwing errors. Uh, lost his job, obviously, as the starting shortstop. Um, so, yeah, things did not go that well. But, you know, I don't want that to be how we remember Kike in his time here. Um, so I want to kind of pour one out for Kike here. Um, and, and let's get your thoughts first. What What are your thoughts on, on Kike and kind of what he meant to the Red Sox? Yeah, Um I mean, this year was really tough just because, I mean, you have the the note in here of it being miscast, and it really kind of feels like this year summed up for him. Um, he really stepped into a role and embraced a role that he shouldn't have had to play, and he really kind of struggled because of it, being thrown into playing everyday shortstop, and then really having to, um, you know, after struggling out of the gate, um, have, basically having to stay there because there was no other options. Um, and he just kind of had to keep working through it, which just kind of made things worse and worse and worse because um, it just didn't plug the hole. I mean, the small attempts that they made with guys uh, like uh, Reyes or Chang um, or other options ended up 
getting hurt and for basically forcing him right back into that role. Um, and it just kind of added to the struggles and um, put him in a position that he probably shouldn't have, shouldn't have had to be in in the first place. So it's difficult to kind of judge this year off of uh, or kind of just remember his entire tenure with uh, the recency bias of this year. But, um, you know, in previous years, he at least had a role and and a plan and was able to do some really nice things for this team. So it's just tough that it, that he ends up going out this way because um, he's a great presence in the clubhouse. He's a really good guy to have on the team, but he, yeah, he basically was forced into a role he shouldn't have been in. And um, outside of that role, he, it was tough to kind of basically make him fit with the roster, the rest of the, the shape that it had. So it was, it was a certainly a difficult year. Yeah, it was a difficult year. Um, but you know what? I think that Kike is actually being a little unfairly treated by a lot of the fan base, in my opinion. Um, you know, I don't like to make sweeping judgments about what the fan base is doing, but I do feel like, at least from the vibes that I'm getting on Twitter, that he's sort of getting the Ryan Brazier treatment, like the kind of, oh, thank God he's gone, you know, that type of thing. And I have to say, I've never felt that way about Kike in his entire time here, even when he was struggling. I never felt like he was sort of this burden to the team, even when he wasn't playing well. Um, You know, you mentioned the thing about him being miscast. And when we look at the way that the Red Sox and specifically Heim Bloom, you know, addressed shortstop on this roster this year, you know, we expressed a lot of concerns of that about that coming into the year with you know, sort of the failure to replace Xander Bogarts on this roster effectively. You know, you mentioned Chang. Um, Chang is basically a part-time player who was asked to step in full-time. Mondesi hasn't seen the field yet. That doesn't surprise any of us on this podcast. Um, <laughs> we knew that to be his reputation coming in. And then you know, Kike being asked to play shortstop, a position that he's really only played part-time throughout his career, uh, certainly not a full-time role, and asked to do that in his early 30s. I mean, that was a little bit unfair um, for him. And, you know, the other thing here is that, like, I, I get a little bit annoyed when people say things like, well, you know, Kike wanted this. He embraced this. Like, He wanted to be the face of the Red Sox coming into this year and stuff like that. And it's like, what do you want from this guy? Like, he was one of the better players on this team in years past. He had a four-war season. Um, Did you want him to say, no, no thanks, I don't want to be the face of this team. No, I don't want to be the leader of this team. Or, like, be like, yeah, you know what? I really don't think I can play shortstop heading into my 30s. Like, we want guys to be confident in themselves. And I feel like we're kind of dogging Kike for being confident and like having that conviction in himself and his team. And he made some comments before the season about how this team might surprise some people too, and sort of took exception to, you know, how the media was looking at this team. And it's like, those are all traits that you want in a player rather than ones that you don't. So I just feel like he's not getting a fair shake from people. And I'm curious to see if you have been feeling that way as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, you make a good point. Um, 
his position on the roster this year is weird. And his defensive struggles compounded with his offensive struggles. I can understand, I guess, why there would be, I mean, like a stronger, I mean, I was, I didn't think he should have been playing shortstop for sure, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily, uh, I mean, I'm not, you know, relieved that he's gone off the team. I mean, we saw when he was put in center field, what a massive impact he had. Um, there's certainly a role for him on a major league team and, and even on this team in particular. So I, the Ryan Brazier treatment, you're right. That is a little, a little unfair uh, of a comparison there and really just a general treatment uh, as a whole there. But I mean, to your point too, they didn't really have, they didn't have anybody else to play the position. Um, I mean, he fully embraced playing shortstop in spring training and was vocal about it. But again, I mean, as you mentioned, like what else was he supposed to do? Like, Hey, I'm not super thrilled that uh, we don't have anybody else to play this position. So here I am. Yeah. I mean, that's he's not, not going to come great. Like if he's he, not going to come out in March and be like, Oh, you know what coach? I don't think I can do it. Sorry. And you yeah. know what guys, I don't really think this team's that good. So yeah, we probably won't make the playoffs. Like if he said that shit, everybody be all over him. Right, and if, like he comes out with that attitude, like not only will fans and, and the media be all over him, but like the team themselves will be like, "Great, so we got a dude playing one of the most important positions on the field who doesn't want to be there." Um, that's great. So they're immediately like within the the clubhouses, like they're not going to be thrilled about what's going on. So, but he steps up. He's like, "Yeah, we got nobody else to do it, so I'm going to do it." Right. And I'm gonna. And I'm gonna. You know, I've done it before. I think I can do it again. I got this. No big deal. I mean, like, that's what you want. Right. That boosts the morale of the clubhouse. So it's like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Whether or not he can actually handle it is a completely other, completely, it's a different discussion. But that's the kind of attitude that you want from the guy who's basically forced to play it anyway. You don't want him to be bummed about it. So, yeah, that's, of course, that's the reaction he's going to have. Yeah, and, and just to make matters a little bit worse for him getting out of here, I mean, he was key in recruiting Turner and Kenley, you know, two guys he played with in L.A. Um, to this team, and obviously they've worked out, and Turner's been an awesome clubhouse guy, and it seems like Kenley has as well. Um, he was one of my favorite players on the team. I mean, outside of Yoshida, I would say that coming into this year, he was one of the guys I was most excited about. Um, certainly one of my favorite guys. I know he was Cora's guy as well. Cora loved him. Um, so, yeah, it just it stinks. Um, and I think it speaks volumes that his previous team, the Dodgers, was you know willing to trade for him and add him to that. And I think that he's, he's still a guy who has a lot of good baseball left in him and um, should be well used on other teams, especially if he can get back into that super utility role where he was so good. Um, but I wanted to talk about some great Kike moments. Uh, I kind of tweeted this out on Twitter, uh, or X or whatever the hell it's called now. Um, <laughs> as, as Elon Musk's attempts to ruin his $4.4 billion purchase. Um, but you know, 44. was it 44? I thought it was 4.4 billion. No, 44. Oh my God. Uh, that's okay. That's worse. Um, but anyhow, 
everybody's favorite thing and and my favorite thing too i think was just the playoffs uh in 2021 for him and just to recap how crazy his playoffs were so i I brought up the uh baseball reference uh box scores for the series that he played there so in the wild card game he had one hit um against the yankees obviously you know was successful there also walked in that game um and it, it was pretty ridiculous against uh, Tampa Bay. So in the ALDS, uh, he hit 450, uh, 429 with a 900 slug, 1329 OPS, two home runs, six RBIs, absolutely dominated that series. And then against Houston, you know, a lot of the bats on the team didn't show up, but he certainly did. Uh, this is his line in that series in 26 at bats, 385, 407, 846 slug, uh, 1254 with three uh, home runs in that series. Uh, 10 hits total, um, just absolutely electric in 2021. Uh, so I will kind of always remember him for that bit of postseason magic, uh, as well as you know how he played during the year. Uh, defensively for for war season, which I mentioned before, but uh, just one of the most graceful center fielders that I've seen. And it was nice to kind of see that happen after the JBJ era in center field was over. Yeah, I think, I mean, that definitely stands out. And um, the, the first thing that came to mind for me was the second half of 2021. Um he went on a heater that was kind of like unlike anything. Um, there was a stretch there that it felt like it was maybe like a two week stretch there where it seemed like he hit like a home run um, like every game. But I pulled up his splits because I was curious. Uh, and he had in July and August, he had nine homers and um, hit nearly 300 in those two months, hit 305 in August and 274. Uh, in July and I mean really like pulling that kind of weight in those two months um, you know heading into the um, you know down the stretch towards the playoffs he was huge in kind of setting the tone heading into the postseason there and as you pointed out kind of really kept that going there in the postseason as well, postseason as well. And they don't make the postseason without that hot streak in the second half, like you mentioned. I mean, remember, they barely snuck into the playoffs that year, too. Yeah. So without that play, he never even gets to put on this postseason showcase. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely a guy who I'm going to miss. Um, before we close the book on Kike, did you think that this was the right move for the Red Sox to trade Kike? to the Dodgers and get some value back uh, from him. We'll talk about what that value is in a moment with the two relievers. But, you know, the, the other option here would have been to, you know, simply DFA Arroyo if you didn't if you didn't have the ability to trade him to anybody else. And, you know, I don't think Arroyo or or um, Reyes were as valuable uh, or Chang even really as Kike was to other teams. So I get why they did this, but do you think it was the right move? Yeah, I, I was kind of going back and forth on this, but I think so because, I mean, I mean, you kind of pointed it out there too. Like The other option is getting nothing for Arroyo. Doing this move, they're at least able to get something 
and and maybe it works because of the defense. He's the only one that had any kind of value or any kind of trade market. So, um, yeah, I think it I think it makes sense. I'm not really beat up about kind of doing either because I I don't think Arroyo will also be here all that long. It's uh, I believe we're going to talk about later everybody else coming back as well. So mm-hmm. I. I I think both are probably going to end up happening, but um, yeah, I don't mind it. I'm not terribly beat up about kind of one move over the other there, but Kiki was definitely the only one you were going to get something out of. So I don't hate it. Yeah, I think you're right. Ultimately Um, it stinks, but you know, his, his role was so reduced with this team and, uh, you know, the positions that he's good at playing. We just didn't really need him to play those places like center field and second base. So it, it does make some sense. Um, and I think you're right about the Arroyo thing. Let's talk about the two guys coming back, though, because um, what Bloom did was he got a couple of right-handed pitchers who are a little bit on the older side uh, for prospects 25 and 26 years old. Um, the first guy we'll talk about is Nick Robertson. He's six foot six, two hundred and sixty-five pounds. So he's he's a big boy. He's twenty-five years old, drafted in the seventh round in twenty nineteen out of JMU. Um, he's a fastball changeup guy, mid nineties fastball. His changeup is his pitch that actually misses bats. This is all from Fangraphs. Um, slider and cutter as well, but those pitches are more of contact pitches. And then Alex Spear chimes in on him. Uh, He mentions that, you know, Robertson is on the 40-man. He had a 2.54 ERA with a 38% uh, strikeout rate and an 8% walk rate in AAA this year. Uh, Huge swing and miss numbers, high ground ball rates. Um, He also had a 6.10 ERA with 13 strikeouts uh, with the Dodgers this year in 10 and a third big league innings. Um, and then he talks about the repertoire that I just mentioned. So let's start with Robertson. Uh, what do you think about him? Is this somebody who excites you? I mean, he's already been up in the big leagues. Red Sox, we talked a lot about it last uh, time on the episode uh, last week that we are very, very left-handed bullpen at this point. So, you know, big, big righty here. Any interest in, in Robertson? Yeah. I suppose. Um, I think. I think so. So Fangraphs actually he did appear on their the Dodgers top prospect list. Uh, their top fifty one uh, coming in at number forty six. Um, so not not anything that's super crazy there, um, but at least did appear on the on the list. So maybe a little bit of pedigree there. His numbers are kind of interesting. Um, low walk rate, double-digit strikeout uh, strikeouts per nine, pretty much every stop, um, including his 10 innings in the major leagues so far. Um, so that is interesting, but uh, they're all relatively small. Well, I guess they're not necessarily relatively small given um, he's a reliever, but... Um, Age relative to the level is um, he was basically old for every single level he was at in comparison to the average age. So I'm not sure how much to read into that. Um, Also, given the fact that he doesn't have like a ton of pedigree, but the numbers at face value are interesting. So um, 
it seems kind of like the perfect guy that you would take a shot on in a deal like this in uh, and see if it actually can translate to uh, stiffer competition. And you know, given the, the state of the Red Sox bullpen where you're trying to find guys that you can basically rely on uh, and also that are right-handed, um, sure, I suppose I, I am curious. I would say curious, not necessarily excited, but definitely curious. Yeah, I'm interested. Um, and the thing that kind of stuck out to me was the size of him. Obviously, very big guy, but somebody who's had trouble with the fastball in the past. It, apparently, you know, it's a it's a fairly hittable mid-90s fastball. But the thing that kind of stood out to me was this kind of seems like a guy who could be a bit of a ball of clay for the Red Sox, who... You know, sneakily, one of the things that I have to give Bloom a lot of credit for is I think he's done a really good job with um, figuring out how to fix the pitching issues, the pitching development issues um, that have been here with the Red Sox for, you know, a couple decades at this point. You know, he's really come in and done a lot there. And um, I, I feel like they can fix his arm slot to make that fastball play a little bit better. And when it comes to the changeup, like he already has good feel for that pitch. So that's a nice swing and miss offering for him. And the slider and cutter, that's a pitch that the Red Sox have been really, really good at teaching to people uh, over the last couple of years. And we've seen some big success stories with that. So I'm actually like kind of optimistic about what they'll be able to do when they get their hands on this guy, get him in the pitch lab and kind of figure out some things um seems like he could end up being a pretty good get uh the next guy is justin hagenman he's six foot three 205 pounds another right-handed pitcher he's 26 years old uh much lower draft pedigree 23rd round out of uh, penn state in 2018 um, but similar success 2.78 era and 55 innings pitched at triple a this year and per alex spear uh 27 strikeout rate minuscule 5% walk rate. Uh, he's a sinker slider pitchers works in the low nineties. Um, throws a change up and he's been used in a variety of roles, reliever, multi-inning reliever and starter. So Hagenman, obviously not as tooled up, but having pretty good results as well. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting mix given the arsenal. You'd expect his ground raw ground ball rate to be a lot higher. Um, it's like low 30s and the home run per fly ball rate is high teens. Um, those aren't great. And given the slider-singer combo, I would expect those to be much different. So that is quite uh, some interesting results given his arsenal. And I wonder if, again, there's something there that the Red Sox see given his stuff that there's room for some improvement there that they can tweak a thing or two and kind of get the most out of that. And they're taking a chance on a project, which again, in this situation, sure, totally fine with that. You know, they've had had success, as you pointed out, with these kind of guys in the past. So why not take a chance and that minuscule walk rate is really nice. The strikeout rate being above 
uh, nine caper nines is really nice to complement those other pieces. So maybe there is a little bit of work to be done, but uh, maybe they can get something out of him. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, another another arm to the to the system, which I think is is a good thing. And you know, I I have definitely been critical of some of the things that Bloom does. Like we mentioned at the beginning, like obviously. We weren't impressed with how he approached shortstop coming into this year, but his philosophy towards pitching is generally one that I agree with. I love all the things that he's doing there, and I also love like how he has approached it in the draft over the last couple of years, taking essentially a lot of college arms and just doing this by a numbers game. And I think adding a couple more of these guys, and if one of them hits, like, hey, that's great. You know, if you can get six years of control for a pretty good right-handed reliever, uh, and if both hit, I mean, this deal's awesome. So, um, could be could be good. There were a couple uh, quotes also from the Alex Spear article in the Globe talking about this trade uh, that were specifically related to Bloom and kind of how he feels about the trade deadline. He said, "Our North Star is just continuing to build our core." Those are going to be the most attractive opportunities for us, and that's going to be something that we basically kind uh, that we use as basically a kind of lens through which we look at anything we could do. There's a lot of different things that could fit into that. Obviously, we want to make this group as strong as we can. If we add more core contributors, that's something we'd love to do. But as far as the shape this takes over those 165 hours, I don't know yet. So he's basically saying that things are still up in the air. Um, but reading, you know, between the lines here, the thing that's kind of been floated around is the Red Sox are probably a lot more likely to go after guys who have team control beyond this year, rather than like just the simple, uh, Lucas Giolito type, like two month rental. What, what did you take from that? Yeah. Um, it is interesting. And I feel like the more and more reports come out that's saying the Red Sox are going to be kind of, or maybe not like aggressive buyers, but that those types of buyers where they're looking for those types of players. But it'll be interesting to see whether that happens because they're going to need to give something up to get that. So it's interesting to see what's going to be the threshold of you know how much are they willing to give up to get a guy that has those kinds of years of control under their belt to add to the core, uh, knowing that's probably going to take some better prospects to get it done. Yeah, I agree. It is kind of interesting because, you know, at the same time as not wanting to mess with the core, you're probably going to have to mess with some of your guys who have a lot of team control to get other guys who have team control, you know? Yeah. You gotta, like future core for now core. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he handles the deadline. Um, I hope that he's more aggressive. That's kind of been my big knock is on on Bloom has been team planning and you know, lack of aggression. Um, so hopefully, uh, hopefully that can be a little bit better. But I want to get to a couple guys who are on rehab assignments right now. Reese McGuire is just starting a rehab assignment. Corey Kluber is on a rehab assignment. Uh, both guys are in Worcester. But... I know this weekend we were all, uh, me, you, Bob, we were all texting about the awful throw uh, that (laughs) Jorge Alfaro had, uh, and he's probably not long for this roster. So can you just um, 
give us a, a snapshot of where your head was at when you saw him basically give up that little league home run by chucking the ball into the outfield. Yeah. I mean, my text was, was a bummer. We didn't have Manny out there in the outfield to cut it off. <laughs> so I didn't get all the way back to the monster. Uh, that was brutal just to, to throw it right where Jaron Duran wasn't. Uh, my God, was that awful? Yeah, it was bad. And like, we we had been clamoring a little bit preseason for seeing Alfaro because of the big arm and like the bat that's kind of interesting. Uh, and once I've seen him, I don't want to see anymore. Like I totally get why he did not make this team now. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we're necessarily clamoring for him to get like a ton of time. It was like as the second catcher. Sure. <laughs> We wanted to see more Wong, which we we are. So I think we're okay. Yeah, I, I just, you know, even Noodle Arm McGuire at least doesn't make decisions like that. So yeah. I'm uh, I'm okay with just having stability. And, and even Wong did do the same thing this year, but it wasn't quite as egregious as what Alfaro did, in my opinion. It was shocking. It was It was definitely a Little League bonehead play. Yes, oh, for sure. Uh, a couple more uh, developments. Uh, these are from Jen McCaffrey, her Twitter account. Another great follow if you're not already following Jen. She says, Sale had an up-and-down session in Worcester on Thursday and could begin a rehab assignment next week. They're talking about bringing him back sooner and building up innings in Boston. So before we get to the other points on, on here, I mean... That seems like pretty big news to me. Uh, also seems like this is a, a bit on the early side of the timeline that we had been talking about when Sale went down with this injury. You know, how optimistic are you based on this that Sale could really be back here contributing meaningful innings to this team shortly? Yeah, it is interesting. And it really kind of, I feel like, <laughs> just speaks to the shape of the rotation and uh, maybe the pitching staff as a whole, um, that they just they kind of need him to cut that rehab short and do it at, at the major league level. Like they'd rather have those innings there um, because that would be the best use of his time and like the most value to the team as a whole. Um, it's a little scary. A little scary. Um, but it would still... Was he'd still have to have like two, I think, rehab starts before he could actually be. Uh, I forget what the exact date was where he can be uh, activated now, but I think he would still have to have at least one, maybe two um, rehab assignments or starts there uh, or appearances before um, he would get called up. But yeah, I mean, it's obviously not enough to get fully lengthened out as a starter, so he'd be doing a lot uh, in the bullpen first in the major league level, which I suppose, yeah, uh, why not? I mean, if you're you're trying to make a push here, right? So right. If, that's, if that's where you're going to get the best innings, then yeah, but it, it's still, it feels super risky. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of feels like what they're talking about is replacing, you know, somebody like a Richard Blyer or a Joe Jakes uh, with sale, you know, in that sort of 
one to two inning relief role uh, right off the bat and then building him up slowly to rejoin the rotation. I mean, I'm fine with that. I don't want to see any more Richard Blyer in my life. And, and Joe Jakes, he's done a fine job, but like, come on, you know, it's, yeah. it's Chris Sale. I mean, I'm not opposed to it because obviously 80% of Sale is better than those guys. It just, given his track record of health, it just adds another layer of risks. And you just hope that that's not going to add any more stress and you at least can keep him healthy this way through the rest of the year. Yeah, I hope so too. Uh, Cause he does still have one more year left on that contract. And uh, I don't think he's uh, all that likely to be traded at this point. Uh, Jen also mentioned story is playing shortstop DH and he's playing shortstop the next three days in Worcester. Cora says it's possible they bring him back sooner, but his timing is off at the plate and they want to make sure he's fully ready and not rushed. She also says, how can Whitlock have bullpens the next two days? And she adds to the story thing uh, regarding story. Cora uh, says that if he's ready to come back this weekend, they'd listen slash consider it. So that's much sooner than I thought for story. And then if we start looking at those arms here, how can Whitlock, uh, you know, if they're coming back relatively soon, all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're talking about three guys being added to this list. And maybe Murphy, Jakes, and Blyer are all gone and replaced by those three arms. And that seems pretty nice. So I don't know. This, is, this has got me feeling a little bit optimistic here. It is not the same team that has been kind of uh, sputtering out of the gate here in the second half, that's for sure. Uh, but, you know, you'd also uh, hope that these guys, you know, hit the ground running as they return. Uh, which, you know, Trevor Story having missed um, nearly two seasons now. Um I just kind of hope he just gets back in the groove of playing baseball. Though he did look real good making some plays uh, at shortstop there, um, making the rounds on on the old Twitter machine. It was really nice to see him making plays deep, deep in shortstop. Plenty of arm to get it across the time. That's going to make you feel good. He's an athlete, man. It's uh, sure is. He can definitely play the position if if that arm is right. I mean. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be a big relief at least defensively. I think offensively could take a while for him to get it going, but yeah, he'll at least run into some mistake pitches. He'll at least hit for some power. I think yeah for sure. Um, so getting back to the middle infield though, um, Pablo Reyes is back. Um. And Alex Spear mentions that Reyes is going to play second base and shortstop against lefties. Um, he also had some reps in the outfield too, kind of you know adding to his versatility. Uh, and John Schreiber is set to be the opener for tonight's game, or was the opener for tonight's game, so he's back as well off the sixty-day IL. And as a result of that, uh, Garza and Brandon Walter were both optioned. Um, so I guess let's talk a little bit about Pablo Reyes. Pablo Reyes is back. Obviously, he's been good this year. Um, makes sense that they added him to the roster. Um, but Christian Arroyo hasn't been 
very good. You know, if you have to make a decision between the group of Chang, Arroyo, and Reyes when Story does come back, it seems like you can't carry all of those guys. Is it clear to you that it's Arroyo gone from that group, or do you still like, you know, the first round pedigree from Arroyo and some of the other things that we've seen from him when he's been right? Um, I mean, at this point, I don't necessarily think the pedigree matters with Arroyo. It kind of is what he is. Um, yeah, I... I mean, yeah, it's just kind of like unexciting options. Seems like Chang's the safest out of those, right? Yeah. Because he, he can play short. Um but like, you know, you're really when you're looking at Reyes and Arroyo, you're looking at guys who are roughly the same age, both righties. Um, but the thing is that Reyes has played better than Arroyo this year. So yeah, do you I mean, is that is that enough to decide the issue? It should be. I think so um, too. But I also know that um Corplum do really like Arroyo a lot. So I suppose that wouldn't necessarily surprise me, but yeah, I I mean, I would give it to Reyes. Yeah, the man can't stay healthy, uh, and the man being Arroyo in this uh, situation. So that's that that would probably swing it for me. Uh, after all, I don't think it really matters all that much who is in that very last infield spot, but, you know, yeah, whatevs. Um, all right, let's get to a couple uh, signings, unexpected signings here before we wrap things up for today. Uh, the Red Sox signed two right-handed pitchers, both 18-year-olds. Um, they signed Korean right-handed pitcher Chan Sol Lee and Venezuelan right-handed pitcher Grider Kalina. Um, and this is some information per Sam Conan. Of SI, it says Lee, who is listed at 6'1", 194 pounds, has a fastball that approaches 95 miles an hour. He mentioned some of his stats during the Seoul High School run this year in National Tournament, and also mentions that he would have been a first-round pick in the KBO draft had he uh, decided to stay around there uh, in Korea. But now that he's decided to come to um, the United States, he cannot return to Korean professional baseball for at least two years. He also mentions that according to uh, KBO insider Daniel Kim, Lee's signing bonus is worth three hundred grand, and it is the second largest signing bonus the Red Sox have given out to an international uh, free agent pitcher, I think he means, because they've definitely given out bigger ones. Uh, behind only Venezuelan pitcher Jetickson Paez's $450,000 deal. So that kind of stood out to me, um, you know, that the Red Sox were willing to give this kid three hundred grand um, coming over from Korea. Let's chat about him first before we get to the Venezuelan kid. Uh, were you kind of surprised? I mean, this kind of felt like it came out of nowhere, random uh, – Random signing dropping. Uh, wasn't expecting this. So what What do you think? Yeah. I uh, completely agree. It did kind of come out of nowhere. Um, pretty interesting move on kind of both these parts here. Um, international window, typically you don't get signings as late. So it is pretty interesting. 
Yeah, it does. It does seem pretty late. You know, we used to the most of the guys being done by now. Um, and as far as the Venezuelan guy, I mean, even less is known about him. There are at least some good clips floating around of um, of Lee and his uh, performance this past year. I was actually watching a clip before we came on the show. But it says uh, from the same SI article, as far as the Venezuelan pitching prospect, not much is known about him be- beyond his birthday and him being right-handed. <laughs> so uh, seems like we're going to have to wait a little bit on him. Sure. But both both these guys are also older, too. That's the thing that I should mention, too. That's the, that's the big thing. When we talk about J2 signings, um, international guys – are eligible to sign at 16 years old and, and both of these guys being 18, uh, that is later. And the fact that, you know, Lee is 18 and, and getting a larger bonus, that's a little bit more typical from guys coming over from the uh, Asian uh, market than it is for uh, guys coming over from the Latin market, but both are late. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Really interesting, but I'm curious to kind of, watch these guys get to work because it does because the line because the signing is so late um that kind of piques my curiosity about these guys these guys like why what what made them i guess i mean they're international signees so they didn't necessarily slip but why now i'm confused curious yeah i think uh it's interesting and again you know adding a couple more arms to a system with lots of interesting arms. Uh, so I don't hate it at all. Um, I guess that's it. I mean, this is a pretty quick show for us. Uh, the, the calm before the storm, as Bloom says, we have a yeah. hundred and sixty something hours until uh, the Red Sox are, are going to be active in, in some way at the trade deadline. So uh, between all of the guys who we mentioned today on the show who are rehabbing or working their way back, plus whatever they do at the trade deadline, you know, a couple weeks from now, um, this lineup could look very different. Um, and I, I guess I'll close with a little bit of optimism, Keaton. I don't know what it is about you and I when we podcast together, uh, just just the two of us. I tend to get a little bit more optimistic, but I am kind of optimistic about all these guys getting healthy at the same time and if Bloom can be a little bit aggressive uh, at this trade deadline, if that's a big if, but um, yeah, maybe maybe this could be a fun little year. We might be might be talking about some October baseball. I'd love to. A uh, hundred and sixty something hours wasn't that the movie where the guy bit off his own arm? I you know what I think you're right. I I do remember that being a, a title, but didn't he not? bite it off didn't he kind of like twist it off i don't know i didn't see it who's uh who would be who would be the guy in this situation who's gonna sever their own arm off as we head towards the trade deadline um well maybe me if uh (laughs) if, if bloom doesn't do anything i might just chew my arm off like a coyote in a trap so we'll see but probably not i do need that thing All right. Well, thank you guys very much uh, for tuning in to the show. Uh, Again, rate, review, do all that fun stuff. Subscribe, tell your friends. Uh, And Keaton, you're not going to be with us for the next couple weeks. You're going to be down under. 
I sure am. So we we will miss your dulcet tones, but um, you know, we'll we'll catch you. We'll catch you in the the, the northern hemisphere next time you're around. Sounds good. Enjoy. All right. All right. Thanks everybody. Bye.